I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. Our guest today is Dr. Ray O'Neill, presenting his paper, Double Double Toil and Trouble, Psychoanalysis Burn and Surrealism Bubble. Because it is my name, because I cannot have another in my life, because I lie and sign myself to lies, because I am not worth the dust and the feet of them that hang, how may I live without my name? I have given you my soul, leave me my name! Within Arthur Miller's The Crucible, The Occult, Hysteria, Madness and Sexuality are mobilised into this frenetic climax in Act 4 where John Proctor, having already acknowledged himself as an adulterer and perjured himself in confessing to witchcraft, his reputation ruined and his soul lost, is unable to sign the confession as there is one thing he wishes to salvage, his name. The most common answer to the basic existential question, who am I, is with a name. I may be introduced to you in a variety of ways, but ultimately I am presented and presenting as Ray. This is who I am because it is my name. But this is not my name. This is my parents' name for me. And to be fair, they originally did christen me Raymond, after my father's second name. Our names are never our own. They come with legacies, desires, significations, and ghosts. My brief time working in Zimbabwe last month soon shattered any previous witness of deprivation and poverty I had until that point. But when I'd heard that a very starved, ill, heavily pregnant woman had given birth to a boy that she had named in Shona language, Hard Life, I was shocked and disturbed. Though throughout my time I was meeting people who carried either English or Shona names that were Blessing, Fortune, Last One, Faith, There was even a woman who named her daughter Apology. I didn't ask her why. (laughs) Something is signified in names, and though what modern Western culture may be inclining towards a naming that mirrors trends and celebrity personae or their children, is there not still a desire within such parents for their children or themselves that they will share in the glamour of being a Paris or a Northwest or a Chardonnay? Shona namings do not seem so strange against Gaelic-Irish language names, such as Bronach, which literally means sadness or grief, Sirsha, meaning freedom or liberty, or Grania, relating to either love, Gra, or Grana, meaning ugliness. Considering the name Cian is a Gaelic word for longing and melancholy, Chwinach, from which the English word keening evolves, suddenly hard life doesn't seem so odd a name. The name we are, that primary signifier through which we identify, comes with other desires and significations that, as with all language, we are born into and immersed in throughout our lives. We are named after someone or something, and with those someones and somethings comes something more, something both seen and unseen, familiar and unknown, an occultist legacy, an unheimlich naming, a homo doubling. I'm thinking of a client I will name Joseph, who suffered from an anxious depression, which was intensified for him, as within our cause and effect culture, he had never understood why he was depressed, since he had no trauma in his life. 
Only in the course of his analysis did he mention his being named Joseph after a younger brother of his mother's who had died before he was born. Subsequent questioning he did of his mother only produced a very limited, reluctant story, in true Irish family style, that this beloved 24-year-old brother had drowned in a bath at home while his mother was pregnant with our Joseph. This possible suicide and Uncle Joseph's struggles with his own life were silenced and repressed within the family, but understanding something of the ghosts he had inherited in his name allowed Joseph to speak differently of his depression, of it not only being his, that in analytically responding to it, he was absolved in some way from the full weight of its responsibility. I think of another clinical case file of a man that I shall call Sean Murphy, or Owen Murphy, who had been incarcerated most of his life in a rural Irish psychiatric institution for schizophrenia and multiple personalities. But when a psychiatrist, who had been psychoanalytically informed, began working with him, he noted that own suffering centred more around not knowing which he was, rather than who he was. Further conversations revealed that Owen was the youngest of nine brothers, all of whom who had died in birth or very early infancy, and all of whom had been called Owen Murphy. Such had been his father's desire and determination to have a son who bore his name, that this Owen carried the burden of eight lost lives, desires, anxieties. Owen, in English, means nobly born. Similarly, in Eugene O'Neill's autobiographical Long Day's Journey Into Night, the protagonist Edmund, Eugene's counterpart, is named after Eugene's older brother, who had died in infancy, and whose death catalyzes the family traumas, resentments, griefs and fears around which the play lingers. And in the play, when the dead baby is spoken of, this de dead brother that Eugene was born to, um, to replace is rechristened by the playwright as Eugene, this which, ironically, is the anglicization of Owen, noble-born. All names and namings carry ghosts of the past and present desires. For each of our namings, there is a doppelganger, a homo double from whom that name has been stolen, inherited, pushed, be it an actual person or a desired personal identity, of which my reyness can only ever be but an echo, a copy, a facsimile, a reproduction. 1922's first Spanish translation of the interpretation of dreams kindled Salvador Dali into a fanatical Freudian enthusiast. Reading of Freud's flee from the Nazis, Dali wrote to Zweig, who arranged a meeting on July 19, 1938. Dali described this meeting as one of his life's most important experiences, forcing him to reconsider his whole view of surrealism. The painting he presented to Freud, Metamorphosis of Narcissus, signifies something Dali wanted to communicate to Freud about Freud, about psychoanalysis, and most importantly, perhaps, about Dali's desire vis-a-vis -vis Freud himself. Dali is, of course, aware not only of the Metamorphosis of Narcissus by psychoanalytic discourse, but how psychoanalysis metamorphosizes discourse around sexuality, desire, libido, and paranoia. For Dali, psychoanalysis recognition of the double was critical not only for his art, but for his inherently <coughs> doubled self. 
Dali acknowledged surrealism as the only adequate outlet for activity, criticizing surrealist practices such as automatic writing as genuinely passive, advocating his own more active, paranoid, critical method of interpretation, fashioned after the paranoid patient's unwavering personal system of interpreting reality, which structures them alone uniquely. Dali recognized paranoia as an alternative parallel mental processing, a closer to paranoid's original Greek meaning of parallel mind. Dali and Freud both reject psychiatry's definition or dismissal of paranoia as madness or irrational or socially unacceptable. In his Schreber case, Freud discoursed paranoia as the unconscious structuring, the interpretation of perceived objects through projecting onto the external world unconscious, undesirable fantasies. In analysing Schreiber's own words, Freud argues paranoia not as an illness as such, but actually an attempt at recovery, a parallel thinking, evidencing an attempt by the paranoid ego to reconnect to reality through its integration with a fictional world. Freud's psychoanalytic theorisations on homosexuality consistently located narcissism in its primary roots, but in his last major contribution to this subject, 1922's Some Neurotic Mechanisms in Jealousy, Paranoia and Homosexuality, Freud elaborates, I never regarded this analysis of the origin of homosexuality as complete. I now point to a new mechanism leading to homosexual object choice, which was the operation of paranoia in neurotic homosexuality a form of homosexuality that Freud argued didn't need to be exclusive as later heterosexual objects were quite possible. This theory differs significantly from other homosexual theories Freud had developed in involving neither identification with the mother nor a fear of female genitals caused by castration anxiety. It begins with an intense love of the mother which leads to a jealousy of great intensity towards rivals, brothers, and the father that mobilizes hostility and death wishes towards them. But these impulses yielded to repression and underwent transformation into first homosexual love objects. Freud sees such defense reaction formations as the inverse of the process by which passive homosexual love is transformed into persecutory or delusional paranoia. In this latter case, as explored in Schreiber, the unbearable homosexual impulse that I love him is transformed into negation, into I hate him, and then rationalised through projection into he hates me. So it's paranoia that keeps the subject from becoming homosexual. The metamorphosis of Narcissus doubles not only the figure of Narcissus on the left, looking at this reflection in the body of water, with the image of an outreaching hand holding an egg from which a Narcissus flower is emerging, but Dali's very canvas was also doubled with a poem, written to accompany his painting. Like, mirroring like, language augmenting art, signifiers doubling the image. This was the first work that Dali ascribed as being painted in his paranoid critical methodology. That Dali's accompanying poem explicitly calls the group of people in the mid-space between the dual Narcissi as the heterosexuals. The Narcissus figure is significantly described as far from the heterosexuals, marginalised, excluded, different. Why would he choose this signifier, heterosexual, in opposition to the Narcissi? 
In the Dublin poem, Dali describes the body of water where Narcissus leans as the obscure mirror of the lake, in which his own body, quote, fixes itself, frozen in the silvered and hypnotic curve of his desire. It is within this mirrored, obscured desire that, quote, Narcissus loses his being in the cosmic vertigo in the deepest depths of his own image. Within this mirroring, quote, the body of Narcissus flows out and loses itself in the abyss of his reflection. Dali warns Narcissus, you are losing your body, carried away and confounded by the millinery reflection of your disappearance, your body stricken dead, your white body swallowed up. This notion of Narcissus mirroring as a location where the body is seen and lost, where the price of confronting desire is lost, the mirror as a place where we find ourselves only to be metamorphosed into a being, alienated, lost, dead, swallowed up. All of this doubling prefigures some of the dynamics and movements of the Cannes mirror stage, the original version of which was delivered at Marienbad in 1936, the very year Dali began this painting. 1936 was also the year when Lorca, Dali's great friend and fellow artist and love, was assassinated by right-wing nationalists. They had met when they were much younger at the Residencia de Estudiantes, and theirs was an intense, passionate relationship, construed by Dali, must say later on, as Lorca was homosexual, as everybody knows, and madly in love with me. He tried to screw me twice, but I was extremely annoyed because I wasn't homosexual, and I wasn't interested in giving in, besides it hurts, so nothing came of it. But I felt awfully flattered vis-a-vis -vis the prestige. Deep down, I felt that he was a great poet, and I did owe him a tiny bit of the divine Dali's asshole. He eventually bagged a young girl, and she replaced me in that sacrifice. Failing to get me to put my ass at his disposal, he swore that the girl's sacrifice was matched by my own. It was the first time he had ever slept with a woman. Soon after they became estranged, after their studies, though the fear and discomfort around their feelings for one another um, that they both struggled with differently. Dali was, quote, obsessed by Lorca, but troubled by this obsession referring to both himself and Lorca as St. Sebastian's throughout his letters to Lorca. In one such letter, remarking, didn't you ever think how strange it is that Sebastian's ass doesn't have one single wound? Before finishing with his usual, I love you very much. Whatever the nature of their relationship, Dali's 1969 comments, Interestingly, I identify Lorca as homosexual while refuting Dali's own desire, though significantly he uses the past and not the present tense, because I wasn't homosexual. He arrogantly is flattered by Lorca's attention, but ominously again associates this or his or homosexual desire with anal sex, but with Lorca as the penetrator, himself as the recipient. However their sexuality was or was not enacted, Dali significantly perceives his own desire vis-a-vis -vis Lorca's as a giving in and seems to have an awareness that this desire demands painful sacrifice. <laughs> Dali ref re sorry, references the event where Lorca bagged a young girl. Dali himself was present for this scene, voyeuristically watching Lorca's first sexual act with a woman. Dali views the object of his desire, sacrifice himself to the heterosexuals. 
Again, there is a doubling, both participating, one actively, the other narcissistically, both bound in the desire of the other. Another defining homo relationship of Dali's was his relationship to his own older brother, also named Salvador Dali, <laughs> who had died of gastroenteritis two months before the young boy had turned two, and nine months before Dali was born. In other words, Dali was conceived in his parents' grief at the loss of their firstborn son. His brother's loss was his own conception. His brother's name, memory and identity waited for him at his birth. He was given his dead brother's name, his dead brother's clothes to wear, and his dead brother's toys to play with. And when he was five, Dali was brought to his brother's grave to be told by his parents that he was, in fact, his brother's reincarnation. Something that Dali came to believe and actually incorporate, saying of his brother, we resembled each other like two drops of water. We had different reflections. He was probably a first version of myself, but conceived too much in the absolute. This, written in 1942, after his metamorphosis, sorry, metamorphosis of Narcissus, evokes his brother in water, in reflections, in the mirror. The mirror image identity of Dali's long-dead brother repeatedly reappeared, embedded throughout his work, most ominously in 1963's Portrait of My Dead Brother. Painted when Dali was 59, the image is clearly not of a two-year-old, but a much older boy, whose hair morphs into a crow, a harbinger of death. Dali, I should have said harbinger of death at that moment. Dali continually spoke of his challenge in establishing his own identity to free himself from his parents' inevitable and persistent comparisons with the deceased and thus idealised sibling. Dali continually asserted his parents' desire for him to be a replacement for his dead brother. He was a spectre which affected and indeed threatened him, compelling him to cultivate his eccentric behaviour, his dandyism, in order to establish indeed proved that he was different from the first, perhaps better-loved version of Salvador Dali. The group of lance-bearing conquistadores in the bottom right of the painting um, could evolve Dali's desire to dispel and vanquish his brother's enduring memory that continued to overshadow him. The double, the mirror, is a threat. Dali maintains himself in being or performing or becoming such a highly unique original and part of maintaining his self is killing his brother. And this is performed through his dandyism, which culturally has its own discursive alignments with sameness, homoness, nar narcissism, sorry, narcissism and homosexuality. In the lower left of Dali's painting is a variation of Millet's famous The Angelus, which long obsessed Dali. From his childhood daydreaming at primary school, where The Angelus hung on the wall, and, his stare, and staring at it, he would invent stories about this couple. A fantasy was continually repeated throughout this oeuvre as an adult. Dali believed that Millet had originally painted the couple bowing over the coffin of their dead child, rather than, the, than they are seen in the finished version, praying over a basket of, of a potato crop. Although this was a hugely unpopular view, at Dali's insistence, the Louvre x-rayed the painting, and indeed revealed a small coffin had been overpainted by the basket. Dali's 1930 essay, The Rotting Donkey, outlined his paranoid critical method of interpretation, arguing that paranoia makes use of the external world in order to set off an obsessive idea, 
utilising it to control an imaginative construction, an alternative double, another knowledge. The image Dali offers to demonstrate and frame his paranoid double was his invisible sleeping woman horse lion, a woman which is unconsciously associated with and accommodating the image of a lion, which in turn is unconsciously associated with and accommodating the image of a horse. Together, contradictory things are seen, multiple and parallel realities, each legitimate, a logical alternative, another possibility, deconstructing the concept of one or indeed any reality. This Dali, related to the paranoid employment of the reality of the external world, as an illustration of proof of the obsessive idea, with the disturbing characteristic of verifying this idea for others. Dali identified the metamorphosis of Narcissus as his first poem and first painting obtained entirely through the integral application of the paranoid critical method. A discursive circle of narcissism, doubling homo and heterosexuals and paranoia to inform a painting conceived in the year Dali's beloved dies by an artist conceived in the wake of his brother's death, bearing his name, his likeness, his homo-homoness, as Lacan delivers his theory of the mirror stage at Marienbad. This is from Dali himself. When Romoguer read me his thesis for the first time in my life, emitting comparable thrills, I felt the absolute truth. A psychoanalytical thesis revealed the sensational conflict at the basis of my tragic structure the ineluctable presence deep within me of my dead brother, whom my parents had been so fond of that when I was born, they gave me the name Salvador. This thesis Dali refers to was not the first psychoanalytically informed thesis to impact on Dali, nor indeed to have settled a question from him, especially around the doubling from a predeceased sibling from whom one has inherited their name, but more treacherously, their legacy, their fantasy, their identity. It could be argued that before Lacan was a psychoanalyst, he was a surrealist, being friendly with Breton, Duchamp, Picasso, Masson. Lacan was a long-time collector of art and borrowed from the visual arts to explain his theories. In his 20s, training as a psychiatrist and researching his doctors, Lacan also found time to write for the surrealist Minotaur magazine. And it was here his writings were to meet Dali's. In 1932, having just translated uh, the earlier mentioned Freud's 1922 paper on some neurotic mechanisms in jealousy, paranoia and homosexuality for the Revue Française de Psychoanalyse. Referring to this paper, Lacan does in his 1933 doctoral thesis, which Dali the later then cites in 1933 in Minotaur's first issue as Jacques Lacan's admirable thesis, praising his, Lacan's identification of the paranoid mechanism as the force and power acting at the very root of the phenomenon of personality. Lacan took huge pride in Dali's words. His decree describes his doctorate as merely an introduction to paranoid knowledge but, and references Dali's own paranoid critical methods. From the outset of his publishing career, Lacan evidenced an interest in paranoid psychosis. It was encountering Marguerite Pantin, a 38-year-old woman, which enabled him to demonstrate his views and paranoia, specifically the paranoia of self-punishment. Another likely motive for his choice was the great public interest in Marguerite's knife attack against the famous actress Huguette Duflo, which took place outside of Parisian theatre in April 1931. 
The widespread sensation was not lost on the surrealists, especially as Marguerite had unreasonably accused the actress of persecution and of spreading scandalous rumours about her. These crimes frequently, Lacan says, though not always, contained elements of the late 19th century obsession with the doppelganger, the psychic double. Lacan utilised Freudian paranoia theories to address Marguerite's case, whom he renamed Amie, after the heroine of one of her novels, diagnosing her sufferings as a delirium of interpretation against paranoics, psychical functions of representation, not as false meanings, but as personal meanings. In Paranoid Delusion, Lacan diagnosed a key conceptual structure is an iterative identification, evidenced in Amy's case in her repeated identification with successful women who ultimately persecute her. In terms of Lacan's psychoanalytic reading, Amy's identifications were identifications with her ego ideal, the ideal that the ego aspires to. For what lies at the heart of paranoia self-punishment, the object of Lacan's thesis, as well as the paranoid delirium that it generates, was the fact that the paranoid patient engaged in attacking her doubles, her mirror images, the woman she identified with, realising in some way a wish to punish herself. Lacan's thesis analysed the distinctive character of Amy's firm female persecutors, her older sister, her female friends, the attacked, as purely symbolic significance interpreting these persecutionary women as the double, the triple, or successive printings, but of an original prototype. Lacan's thesis hinged on his recognition of the importance of doubling effects. Dali, like Marguerite and Amé, was born into a mould, a desire, a name of a deceased older sibling whose ghost was there at the start to welcome me. So one of the things that Lacan realised in speaking with Amy was that actually she had inherited her name Marguerite from an older sister who had died. Daly's paranoid, critical, interpretive approach exemplifies the madness which threatens those of us born double. All of us are born into the homo desire of a same-named personage which binds us all, consciously or unconsciously, within such homo desires. In our names we are all born into a doubling of whatever this name signifies passes on, bequests. We all suffer from a paranoid knowledge that our names, who we are, is not ours. That our names, our primary identification of ourselves, indicate desires that are not our own, but are bound homoly to a nominal doppelganger. And as Freud says, wo es war, solig werden, where it was, I am to become. In Freud's On Narcissism, the ego is divided with one part set against the other as judge and critic. The ego carries within itself its own ideal, a homo-perfection. Freud names as the ideal ego or ego-ideal. And this homo-ideal to be equally loved or hated, desired or feared, evidenced in Lacan's doctoral thesis, where the same image representing Amy's ideal is also the object of her hatred. Such a foundational, if indeed ambiguous, relationship to an ego ideal is precisely what informs Lacan's mirror stage. Despite our contemporary hyper-narcissistic culture, where everybody is selfied, I mean selfish, <laughs> enthralled in our own image, yet still the doppelganger continues to be portrayed as an ominous threat, an intrusive menace, the anxiety-provoking Mr. Hyde shadow 
the Dostoevskyan double that seeks to usurp one's life. The doppelganger must be fought, killed, or else one will die. Why, if we want to love, our, love ourselves so facebookingly, do we fear and dread this encounter with the original of ourselves? In Scandinavian folklore, the Valdurger, if I'm pronouncing it right, is a spirit predecessor, where a spirit with the subject's appearance precedes them in locations or activities, resulting in witnesses believing they've seen or heard that person before the person actually arrives. It is the harbinger of luck, fortune and foresight. But in matters of desire, a desire for same is still feared and repressed within our culture. Anything homo is to be feared, belittled, marginalised, seen as a threat. And is not the doppelganger our ultimate homo? A double in image or a name with whom we can encounter something truly unheimlich about ourselves. Something that is strangely familiar and yet unsettling. Evocative, provocative, something by which we are simultaneously attracted and yet repulsed. Any discourses, be it psychoanalysis, art or the occult, that encourages an authentic, non-narcissistic encounter with the depths of ourselves is always to be encouraged. But only through practitioners that do not seek mirrors of themselves or their theories or their desires in their clients. But practitioners who can act as mediums, witnesses for their clients' truest encounters, which is never with the practitioner, but with the truth of their own experiences. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard Dr. Ray O'Neill. This paper was presented at the Psychoanalysis, Art, and the Occult Conference held at Candid Arts Trust in London in May of 2016. To read collected papers from this conference, please visit our publisher's website, trapar.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. Dr. Ray O'Neill is a psychoanalyst based in Dublin, Ireland. He'll be in New York in June from the 14th through the 17th at the conference for the International Association for Relational Psychoanalysis and Psychotherapy, presenting a paper called Breeding Lilacs Out of the Dead Land, Addressing Mourning and Loss of Gaelic Ireland. For more information about Dr. O'Neill, Rendering Unconscious, or myself, please visit our website, renderingunconscious.org, or my website, drvanessasinclair.net. Thanks. Behind and in front, see the eye of our consciousness as a fictional assembly or collage.
that resides in the will, and the practice of this repeated ritual has a cumulative effect. Let of all the time I'm in exists think, between consciousness fast, and matter, wait, the ego think, and the real of the body, fast, wait, perception and walk, and will be once again fade to indifference. Dearest you, there is also destiny. European academic tradition and made them aware of their personal genius influenced a frame of reference categories in fact the cut up method is a priceless tool in accessing the depths of the a frame of an image possibility of a seamless identity sexual or otherwise Challenging, Psychoanalysis views identity as that has yet to be created. Conceptualization of the subject has as divided conscious unconscious undermines the yet to be interpreted screening subumbra at the symposium we are hosting together. You also Psychoanalysis, our spirits art, and the occult we need to screw yet to be torn Consider apart minds, that particular idea of theirs cutting one from. piece out of its prescribed position and reanimating it in a new way narrative. to be fully so, integrated, giving it new life. When we take the time out to perform a ritual or attend the next art and spirit, fodder for the soul's revelation, language, the cut-ups of the Dadas, Brian Geisen and William S. Burroughs, but these revealing one's strengths, artists also cut up tapes, sounds, images, photographs, and eventually thoughts, concepts, and others' weaknesses. A series of overlays, really is cuts, and intersections. Movement was notably really, all film students through the process of creating a stand fast in the experience of, of oneself promises or and the image in the mirror. The day -day. This experience of disconnect, for something new to transpire, of opinion, a cut, a analytic slice. session. When we exit no our daily program, physical and behavioral we're cutting ourselves identity. out of our branch a cultural pioneer, a particular Carl Abrahamson, has recently released two related films on trap art. Only grows from the hearts, make me do continues what you see. throughout life. Upbringing, this parents, process of identification is similar to that of identification of the very real imaginists make me see with the mother ourselves only this time the way identification occurs with one's own mirror image be those with integrated media but in this creative work the latent process is, is made manifest over. and candy also images more space in which psychogeometrical design just the way ritual the subject cuts us is not equivalent to the ego identity, out of our day -to -day but rather is situated in the gap creating room that, for us to imagine that are theirs a new reality. and theirs alone. All one has to do, not the sex, achievement, 
it is essentially perverse to create the global network of artists and intellectuals from babies' minds alone into surreal before we are able to speak language. The experience Only time will tell Abraham's sharing ideas and images. Are but we're also incorporated into new forms. And the violation of syntax Only history will judge the method and mode of creating, from the only history and experiencing artwork, value and cacophony. All footprints are eventually erased, valuing cacophony. dreams and the violation only of syntax as techniques for freeing the unconscious of sharing from ideas and images from baby's minds also incorporated into, into surreal and haunting scenescapes before we are able the to speak language words that are theirs and theirs alone not the Abrahamson it is essentially perverse infantile sexuality all one has to do which is our achievement lay in its ability to create a global network of artists and intellectuals is not equivalent to and the actually evil can do out of our day-to-day narrative, creating room for us to imagine a new reality. But in this creative work, the start process is made also creates the gap on space in which something new of the can very grow. Real Just the way ritual cuts us, another, the data is made use of new media that allowed for contact between persons make me see what the you do, grows from the ourselves the way we wish to be, rather than the way we're destined to be, based on our, to that of make me do what you see, to grasp for. upbringing, cultural parents, social conditioning, has societal standards, this act creates room for our, a particular vision, environment of the body. One of the central themes of our work is the malleability of containing no regrets, physical and behavioral identity. The body is used by the mind as a logo for the self. Ultimatums, promises, or fulfillment to the day-to-day we've created room for something really, new to transpire, do this through the a process cut, of revealing a slice, own strengths. is really is playback tapes, time. Sounds, images, Movement was notably diffused with several concepts, active city centers, fodder, creating a network of, and we all language, share the same daily narrative. Of the, Dadas, Brian the space created creates Barrows, space, so when we re-enter the scene, returning cerebral membrane across long distances, letters, postcards, journals and magazines not only provided sensitive to influence by the machine of New York City. The caveat then began to incorporate more industrial if I could travel anywhere elements into his work narrative so as the Lampadu states, persevere in the interruption. I would travel everywhere. You also knew how our spirits accrue. We need to screw. Consider where that particular idea of yours came from. Assume power, focus, invoke a bugaboo. 
psychoanalysis views identity as a frame of reference, true. categories. As in, in the fact, opening a gap, the cut-up method is a creating tool space in accessing the that we may utilize to reprogram ourselves. There is also inventing stew called vindaloo, European that love academic tradition, and made them aware of their personal genius, a witch's brew, and, will and be hot hoodoo. The unconscious question society's accepted values and consensus worldview between consciousness and matter, challenging the ego and the fate to indifference perception dearest you behind here are a few see of us too of our consciousness as what a fictional assembly or collage while embracing new ways of thinking and the practice of this utilizing new materials and methods as a cumulative let go, walk, think, fast, wait, think fast, wait, walk, let go.